Hi, this is Mark Loftus, and in this post-TV podcast, I'm speaking with Anthony Hayes, who co-wrote, directed, and co-stars in the new feature film, Gold, along with Zac Efron. Before we meet Anthony, let's look at the trailer for Gold. I'm supposed to meet a man here to take me to the compound. Came from the West, right? It's getting pretty bad out that way now. Folks turning on each other. So why the compound? Seems a strange place to be heading. Once in a lifetime opportunity. What is it? Come here! Look at this! That's gold. We just found a pile of gold! One of us will have to get the excavator to get it out. I think I'll stay with the gold. You gotta watch your water. Stay out of the sun. Ain't no joke out here. How much longer? Going as fast as I can. So you're here on your own? You need to leave. Out here, things start to get real strange. Strange. Who is she? Where are you? Has she seen the gold? I think they're hiding something. You gotta get rid of her. <laughs> Where are you? I'm close. I did my part. Huh? I found it. <laughs> it's mine. Mark <laughs> Madeline. Anthony, I'm Mark Loftus, editor of Post Magazine. Thanks for your time. No worries. Thanks for supporting the film. Appreciate it. Oh, I had a chance to watch it uh, last week uh, with the link. And uh, I'll tell you, it made me appreciate having a bottle of water within uh, arm's reach. <laughs> uh, and uh, I, I can appreciate how much work that goes into this. Uh, our audience, Post Magazine, we focus on the production and the post-production uh, angles of, of filmmaking. And I know that in this case, you wore many hats. You're a co-writer, you're a director, you're on-screen talent. I like to ask people how they got involved in it, but this is literally your project. Can you tell me how this kind of came together? Yeah, it was um, – originally I was was producing and directing another film called Stingray that we were in pre-production in in, um, Vancouver, and the whole film fell over. We had an ensemble cast that was involved in that and we couldn't quite get them all together at the right time to facilitate the budget of the film. So it fell over five weeks into pre, which was absolutely devastating to come back home and get that far and have it fall over. And so I was looking to replace an actor on that. And so Joel Edgerton, who's been a mate of mine for for years, um, gave a good rap to Zac Efron's agent for me to put us in contact. And uh, Zach was looking at doing Stingray and then we had a couple of chats together and the result of that was he said, oh, you know, I almost want to do Stingray, but I really want to work with that director, but um, not Stingray. And then luckily for um, 
for us, my writing partner and I, Polly Smythe, had gold already written and ready to go. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we quickly turned around and said, all right, well, what about what about this one? And so he read that really quickly and, and said, yeah, that's the one. And so we, we jumped straight in and basically shifted all our focus from producing the Stingray into um, getting gold happening really quickly. And, and it did, you know, we generated a, a, a lot of pre-sales uh, around the world and facilitated the the budget in that way. Um, and, uh, yeah, here we are. And when, when was this? Was this 2019, 2020, 2021? What was the timeline? I know COVID probably, you know, causes yeah. interruptions. Yeah, this was 2020. Uh, and we... Uh, yeah, we shot during COVID. Actually, we um, we were one of the few productions that was going around the world at the time. Um, luckily for us, Zach was actually in Australia, uh, living in Byron at the time, which made it very easy in terms of getting in and out of the country and visas and what have you. And uh, we actually got shut down because of COVID on the first day of our shoot, um, and had to apply for an exemption. And luckily for us, we were so far in the middle of nowhere that we were kind of isolated as a community anyway and Mm -hmm. so we applied to the australian uh the state government of south australia for an exemption and it came through halfway through the first day of the shoot and we were were all waiting going is it coming through is it coming through we're gonna start and it did it came through so we um we started very cool your role obviously you're a co-writer on it your director you're on screen was that a vision that you had where you needed to be that person doing not only the on-screen talent but the vision of what the film would look like and therefore were the director was it an efficiency thing where you said hey you know budget wise i need to wear many hats what's sure. the thinking behind that oh just pure megalomania really okay say <laughs> uh no i you know i was um producing the film and always going to direct it they were the two hats that i was i was going to wear um i always write my own material anyway so that kind of comes with it i didn't decide to be in it until closer to the date i was still deciding whether to or not um and then the character just started appealing to me more and more and i wanted to do it so um, that was probably the hardest bit was jumping in and out of performing and directing at the same time. But, um, and I'm not, I'm not sure it's something I, I knew also that with that character, I was only going to be in the beginning of the film and the end of the film. And there's a whole period there where Zach's on his own. So it wasn't okay. going to consume my entire directorial brain, but it was, that was definitely one of the biggest challenges was to, mm-hmm. to do that. Not sure I'll do it again, but I, I always like to kind of take control of my projects and shepherd them through and, you know, hold mm-hmm. on to some of the IP myself and, you know. Yeah. It's always how how long was through. the shoot? And is this Southern Australia? Is that where it was going on? I mean, it really had that desolate. Yeah. Uh, you know, almost. Central, <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. It's almost Central Australia. Kind of, yeah, Southern Central. It's um, uh, It was about uh, an eight-hour drive from Adelaide, which was the closest city out into the middle of nowhere. Wow. Um, yeah, and we, we, we'd stayed in an old mining town out there that would no longer existed where there used to be a population of about 50,000, 60,000 people, and it's been reduced to about 20 or 25 people now because the mines have shut down. But mm-hmm. they still have all the infrastructure and all the buildings and accommodation that are closed down. So a lot of films actually go out that way because they're able to facilitate holding 200 uh, cast and crew relatively cheaply. And um, I've actually shot... I think before this one, four films in that very location and stayed there before. It's just about wow. 
um, you know, finding something that had not been on the screen before. And so we ended up finding a private property and having to grade the road to get in and get the trucks in. And it was a bit of a nightmare, but uh, mm-hmm. we found a good spot that we could plonk a tree in the middle of and just go for it. And how long was the shoot? Shoot was really quick. Shoot was 21 days in total. Mm-hmm. Um, but we lost half a day due to the COVID on day one. And then we lost uh, three days because of sandstorms. We only got eight seconds worth of footage in three days. And on a, on a schedule that tight, it was really quite full on. Um, but there's, you, as you've seen it, there's a sandstorm in the movie. And mm-hmm. so while we're sitting around doing nothing in the shelter, I was just going, this is what, you know, we'd paid to have all these massive fans come up that were going to try and whip up some wind and drive them on trucks and yeah. all this operation. I was like, we just got to shoot in this. Like, this is exactly what we want. I wanted to ask um, you a little bit about that too. I'll get to yeah. that. Uh, the, uh, do you have a camera preference? Is the camera uh, dictated by the cinematographer that you work with? Is it an economics thing? What camera format you go with? Do you remember what you're using? Yeah, we use the uh, Ari Alexa Mini. Um and it wasn't, I mean, that was the choice of the DP. That was one that I suggested anyway. It was one that can deal with the extreme heat as well because mm-hmm. on another film that I'd done, there was uh, issues with the computer chips that were in the heat were and the cooling that would expand and they would ruin the camera. So that was something that was quite robust and tested out in those conditions. Uh, mm-hmm. In terms of the lensing, that was more important to me about having the, the right lens kit and the right look for the film. And uh, we used... Uh, quite a few different lens kits, particularly when things started to get weird. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we'd pull out different lenses that manually, manually focused to, to uh, mess with the, the, the um, depth of field and mm-hmm. where the focal point was. Um, but, yeah, that was the camera we decided to use. And I, I would never shoot on film as a filmmaker because I like performance too much and I like to give a lot of rope in performance and capture as much as I can. Gotcha. Uh, are you doing editorial right, uh, right as production is going on? Do you have an editor on set with you that's kind of t- dealing with dailies and putting together rough cuts or is all that taking place well after production is shut down? No, we had that on set as well because it was such a fast shoot. We knew we had to and we were never going to get Zach back in the middle of the desert. It was really mm. important that, that we had some kind of uh, um, you know, edit together to know where we needed to plug any holes. So that was really helpful. So he was he was out in the mining town with us, set up mm-hmm. in a, a little room with his Avid, and I would just drop in there after work or in the morning um, and just make sure we were up to speed with everything and anything we needed to reshoot. And one of the issues we had was, you know, there's a lot of dogs in the film mm-hmm. and the ground temperature was so hot, uh, it was 70 degrees Celsius, um, which is re- at a few points, which is really hot. And so we couldn't actually shoot the dogs on location because they'd burn their paws. So we had to push all the dog elements to green screen um, in a studio and comp them in in the end. So, ah. and we, I think we've done a really good job because it does look like Zach and the dogs are in the same movie, uh, but yeah. they're nowhere near each other. You know. And you know what? I was going to ask you about the visual effects. Obviously, the sandstorm was something that I assumed was a visual effect, but you say that there were really storms going on there. And the dogs are not something that I would have thought was a composited effect. So uh, what was the level of visual effects there? And did you know what the, the number of visual effects were going into it? Or was it just circumstances that then determined, OK, we're going to have to do this as a visual effects later on in post-production? Yeah, we... um. 
with the dogs, we'd planned to shoot most of it on location and it just didn't work out that way. So we had to, we, I did three reshoots in the studio to get the moments I needed. And the, the key to me with the dog sequence is that quite often when you have dog attacks, it's all just very cutty and it's to try and hide the fact that the actor's not in the frame. And I wanted mm-hmm. to build essentially a slower sequence of dogs moving in a particular way to, to build it and put a story to it. And in order to do that, it means you have to get these three or four second grabs of numerous dogs in the right position doing the right thing. So it was a series of comp on comp on comp on comp. And we just shot the plates in the end and shot Zach and then um, put them in later. But that was the most painstaking part of the process and and costly in the end because we just had to go and keep going and revisiting it um mm-hmm. so that was uh, not anticipated from our end the sandstorm was pretty much real what you see the only thing we added in cgi was the wall of sand that's in the very background but all the texture and everything there apart from the flying parts of the of the shelter is all a real sandstorm so that was nuts we i i you know wanted to shoot it and i went and knocked on Zach's trailer's door because we're just sitting around and I just said, mate, we've got a sandstorm here. Get out here. Yeah. Yeah. And he was like, yeah, let's do it, buddy. And I was like, you can't put a Hollywood star on a sandstorm. I was like, well, he wants to do it. So we went out there and did it and we shot what we were supposed to shoot in a day and a half in about three hours. We just threw it handheld, just jumped into the storm ruin the equipment there's so much great behind the scenes footage and photos of everyone just covered up everywhere it just really looks like what it is in the um in the film so i think it gave it a great effect there the uh, the, the final edit i know comes in at 96 minutes is because there are a lot of scenes where there's no dialogue and those scenes yeah. could go longer or shorter so did you have a a timeline in your mind where it had to come in to a certain length or is it there a director's cut that could be longer just because it's able to you know fill the screen with that much what what was your thinking on the editorial and working with the editor on getting that final cut yeah i always assumed this would be a 90 minute film i didn't think it would hold for much longer than that being Mm -hmm. a one-man show so that was the aim to get it in that pocket from the beginning but obviously not at the expense of drama or what was on the screen and it just organically kind of found its way there um the first cut we did because as you say it's one man in the desert for most of it the timing in terms of what we shot and what's on the screen is actually pretty close compared to films there weren't a lot of secondary stories and b plots and other characters that you know in a in a uh, edit suite that you usually are kind of wrangling all these different elements to bring it in place it's a very simple structure with a very simple set of steps that zach takes in this so it lent itself to that it was a very short script i think the script was only 84 pages so i always knew that it was because there's barely any dialogue there's no backstory Mm -hmm. the characters don't have names it's completely devoid of any humanity which is the point that we're valuing things over each other in the future and yeah um, so it's a very economical lean script to start with and so it was always intended to be that as a film in hindsight, having the vision of being a writer on it, director's vision, did the film turn out the way you had anticipated? It's always interesting to like kind of see yeah. what you're going for and what you end up with as a final product. What What is your hindsight on, on this? Yeah, I'm actually really happy with the film. I, I look back on it now and I go, it's actually exactly as I intended. All the all the crew and all the departments, uh, because there's so few elements in this film, um, it was very easy to specifically identify what the elements were and get them right. 
you know, even from a from a uh, a design point of view or a costume point of view, there's only three characters in it. There's only a truck that drive past, a truck we drive, a shelter, and a tree. You know, and a little thing at the beginning. So there were very few elements. So we were able to spend our energies on fewer elements and get those exactly how we wanted to, which you wouldn't have the luxury of in a you know, more sprawling production. So what you see on screen is what was intended, which I think is very rare. Um, you know, I'll revisit it in 10 years when I can be bothered watching it again <laughs> mm -hmm. and, you know, have thoughts on that. But uh, for the moment, I'm, I'm really happy with the the mix of survival and thriller elements and, um and it looks beautiful. It, you know, I didn't want it to look Australian. I wanted to 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 look like somewhere else. So mm -hmm. a lot of the uh, CGI elements were painting out Australian trees and uh, things like that, and to make it look as generic as possible. Adding in signs with Russian and Arabic and mm -hmm. what have you. So um, where did yeah. you do the post production once you uh, once you left location? Obviously, you had a rough cut going there. But where did you yeah. take it for final post? Yeah, I had a rough cut there. Then we came back here, and, and I'm not one for spending heaps of money on the budget uh, in plush editing suites. I just think it's a bit of a waste of money. It's just two guys sitting in a room. So we just hired a, um, a service department uh, around the corner from my house that I could walk to and took all the Avid and the equipment and the screens in there and just sat in an apartment for eight, nine weeks and, and did it from there, and that was fantastic. You don't have anyone bothering you. You're not spending mm -hmm additional things on covering overheads for companies so it's a good way to produce a movie what city uh, was that in that you were in at that point what's that? what city was that in melbourne melbourne okay yeah i live in melbourne yeah so we brought it from adelaide up to melbourne cut it here did all the post here um we uh, broke out all the different uh sections of post-production individually and did them in different places and that was a cost-saving measure as well so the you know, grade was that it wasn't all in one house. Uh, one of the issues we had is that COVID was particularly rabid at the time during, um, so we got exemptions for two of us to sit in the room. But when it came to things like grading, I couldn't be in the same room with the cinematographer because he's Sydney-based and so we'd mm -hmm. have to do live link-ups and things like that, which is quite common, I think, in America, but less common common here yeah um, did you use a uh, like an outside facility for the color grade and for the visual effects or was that just a one-man team no we used an outside uh company for that um uh it was actually a couple in the end because of the way covid um kind of separated it so we did we did our our high definition grade uh privately in our own facility that we set up on monitors mm -hmm. and then we went into a bigger studio to do the theatrical grade um, and do that differently um, the sound was it, it was uh, in uh, Frank Lipson's home studio that he had so we'd design everything in there first and then we'd take it to a bigger studio to do all the final mixing so it was a, it was a mix of keeping things really intimate and cost effective and then when we needed to go bigger then we did Okay. What's next for you? Is it a directing project? Is it a uh, acting project? Is it a writing project? Do you have anything that you can announce? Oh, I've got a big acting project. But Do you? I don't know if I'm allowed to say it yet. But, okay. it's, uh, but I can tell you that the next project uh, uh, director-wise I'm working on is a, is a film and crypto tie-in. So I'm actually launching a crypto token uh, next week which is um, a part of financing a sci-fi trilogy that I've, I've written uh, as a film. And um, 
there's a play to earn uh, crypto game associated with that based on the film that we're developing and a, and a short filmmakers streaming platform that we're launching uh, where we've got short films from all over the world, five or six Oscar nominees and Khan Palm Dior winners and uh, filmmakers can come to that platform and, and stream their movies and earn our tokens. So it's building a crypto film tie-in community and then taxes from the uh, from the uh, project uh, goes into financing the film or partly financing the film, which is going to help with with financing, as we all know, is quite difficult to plug those holes and hold yeah. on to your project, ownership of your project. Mm-hmm. So hopefully it's a way to revolutionise filmmakers owning their own IP and not having to give away too much. Yeah. Well, I'd love to talk to you again in the future regarding some of the stuff that's coming up down the road, whether it's on screen, behind Absolutely. the camera, and some of these other initiatives. I appreciate your time. Good luck with the film. Thanks for your insight. I'm sure our readers are going to appreciate hearing from you. Yeah. Thank you very much. Really appreciate your support on the film. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Anthony. Have a great one.